0: Have you ever wanted to go back in time and wish you could tell your younger self things they should be doing now so that they could really set themselves up for the future? Or how about, what if you could turbocharge that? Change that that thought process saying, what if I could go back to my younger self and if I could turbocharge it with known successful strategies that people who have blown it out of the water use and implemented? What if I could do that? What if I could go back? That's what we're going to be covering in today's show. I wish I knew then what I know now about building wealth. Stay tuned to The Money Guy Show.
1: It's Brian Preston, The Money Guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial
0: questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, The Money Guy. Bo, before we jump into the today's show, I, I feel like we need to double back to the whole health savings accounts thing, because you guys, I got on blast from a few um, of our podcast listeners because, of course, you guys are smarter than than us.
1: Smarter than the average bear, for I sure. I
0: mean, because without a doubt, I think we gave a ton of meat with the Health Savings Account podcast. But then you guys said, "Brian,"
1: But wait, there's more.
0: There's one key thing that you failed to share with the Money Guy family. And I, I, th- I felt like it was such a good point that I would come back. Because this is a planning strategy. Now, I went out there and I did some Google research. We all know how powerful Google research is. But I was like, is that is that true? Does that work? And from all accounts, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll change this rule in a few years. But right now, as of end of August, this is true. Health savings accounts. If you decide to go the strategy that I talked about at the end of the episode where I am actually not going to be reimbursing myself for... My medical expenses, meaning that I'm going to fully fund my family contribution to the health savings account. And I'm going to take advantage of that hopeful compounding growth of the portfolio by investing it into a low cost portfolio. So you think, well, Brian, you're doing that because you're hoping once you get to 65, you can pull out what you don't need for medical purposes. You can use that money for retirement. Well, some of our listeners, as well as other financial advisors who listen to the show, said, Brian, what if you could let that money grow for twenty years? Let that compounding interest where that army of dollar bills is working for you, but then you've been keeping track for your expense of your medical expenses for the last twenty years that were not reimbursed that you were just paying for out of your own personal cash flow. How powerful would it be if you go get then get reimbursed after those assets have had a chance to grow? I went and looked it up. Guys, that's a great stretch planning strategy. And truthfully, there's a lot of articles out there about it. And I was, you know, the purpose of our show was to give you guys the basics, the understanding. But if I I get enough of you to write me and um, essentially shame me for not sharing a completely nerdy planning strategy that really can turbocharge things, we're going to do it. So I guess we'll call that the insane mode of financial planning.
1: So I just want to make sure I understood what you said, Ryan. So we're going to save money into an HSA account. Uh, We're going to say, let's just say we save. $20,000 in an HSA account over the next 20 years, right? A thousand bucks a year, just throwing a number up.
0: That's a low number.
1: And then let's say that that 20 grows and grows and grows and it's worth $40,000, you know, years out in the future. If I save all of my medical receipts from now all the way until then, childbirths and broken legs and all these things that happen, I could then reimburse myself 20 years from now for all those medical expenses and, and a big chunk of that'll be tax free earnings that have never been taxed.
0: That's exactly right. You have $40,000 of expenses, you could reimburse yourself $40,000 tax free. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Or you could think about it this way. You have $20,000 of expenses, your account's now worth 40. You could pull the 20 out to reimburse yourself and that original principal that you put in there is still in there. You essentially just paid all those medical expenses tax free with the gains. That's beautiful. So, pretty incredible stuff. Figured we'd share. I know it's a sidebar. This is not a podcast on the health savings account. Go check that out in our archives. Go to moneyguy.com. If you want to go listen to our archives, all the way back to 2006, all we ask of you, if you want payment or you're wondering what does a premium section cost, there's no premium section. We just need your email address so we know who you are, keep in contact with you. It's all free. So go out there and check it out, moneyguy.com. You'll also see on our contact page, you'll see a map of the United States, show you all the states that we actually work with clients currently. If you'd love to take the relationship to the next level, because we do work with clients, love to meet more of you out there, reach out to us, moneyguy.com. So, okay, let's jump into I wish I knew then what I know now about building wealth.
1: So, Brian, your intro was dynamite. You know, the first just immediate thought that came to my head when you were saying as you were talking about... Marty McFly. That, that's what I heard.
0: Now now, don't get into it because you and I we, here's the thing you guys don't know. We have a whiteboard in the office guys where we write potential show topics and there is one that Bo has had written on the board and I think it ties back to because we just had the anniversary of the Back to the Future I mean I, I think it was three weeks ago but it could have been a year and a half ago but whenever that date was we wrote it up on the board that we are going to do a podcast. Well then we had one of our podcast clients who I had a meeting with, he actually said, you got to read this article. And it tied back into the whole back to the future and financial play. We will be doing a show on that. But I will tell you, I think that that just reading that article before I did this show probably made it into the intro. But we're not going to give too much because that's another topic. So let's not get into that too much of a sidebar on that. But great point. So here's what we're gonna be talking about today. This is this is tied into some work we had done and, and some research I had done when I was writing one of my US news columns. And I, I, I was thinking about things. I was like, gosh, you know, so much of my life, and I know this is the same way for all you listeners as well as our clients, that we, as we get older, there, there is something about the passage of time, making mistakes and learning from those mistakes or, or seeing our clients who've made mistakes then, but then, you know, got up picked up themselves, dust themselves off, and now became extremely successful. What did they learn, and are there any tricks of the trade that you could then replicate without making those mistakes? Because think of how limiting it is if you have to only learn from mistakes you make. I mean, first of all, human nature is we don't like to. Right. We, we kind of, you, you, you touch the stove, yeah, you learn, but who wants to go learn not to touch the stove by burning themselves first? So what if I could just tell you, hey, that's going to be hot, going to hurt you, You don't have to go physically burn yourself to know this. That would be more valuable than forcing you to learn only through mistakes you've made. And I think there's some power if you can leverage off the knowledge. So we wanted to put together a resource. So what we have is five big tips that I think you're going to see a lot of value in on things that if somebody was wealthy in the future or an older person they would want you to know now, and these are things that I can tell you in two decades of helping people manage money and make great decisions, this is universal. So you're not too old, you're not too young, you don't make too much money, you're not too poor. This is the perfect type of universal advice that's going to help you. And if you want to get turbocharged and just being motivated on how bad the average American is with making financial decisions, let me give you a taste of how bad, because so you can know where the bar is set, so you can go ahead and say, I'm going to be successful if I'm just covering the basics. Listen to this. According to gobankingrates.com, 62% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings.
1: That's unbelievable. What's
0: half? What is it?
1: 50%? I know the answer,
0: obviously, but it's true. 50%. So it's 60. That means more than, we're getting close to two thirds, guys. Almost two thirds of the country don't, do not even have $1,000 in savings. Who are these people?
1: That is alarming.
0: They're not listening to financial podcasts. That's who they're. They're not. They're, they, there's no way they're listening. If they, if, if, you find these people, these mythical people that don't have a thousand dollars, tell them about the money guy show. Let's help these people out. We can save the world if we just have people, more people listening to this type of stuff. Here's another stat. They'll scare you. It's close to half. The Federal Reserve Board reported that 47% of Americans would not be able to cover a four hundred dollar emergency without borrowing or selling something to cover the expense. Wow. So I, I doubled down. I said a thousand. Sixty-two percent. You know, this is kind of like taking a standardized test when you were in school. You know, we keep pulling the numbers down, and a thousand is sixty-two percent. If we go down to four hundred, we've only trimmed off, you know, right at fifteen percent of the people. Yeah. That's 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 really kind of sad. So that means most people are riding around with probably enough to get them three tanks of gas. It's just, it's it's scary. So the bar is so low. Let us go ahead and turbocharge you guys making the right decisions and, and making the world a better place. Because believe me, the more people have resources and can and fend for themselves on this stuff, I think it's better for all of us. I truly do believe that. So number one, deferred gratification and starting as young as possible are the foundation for empire building opportunities that same podcast client who had shared with me um about the the whole back to the future thing right. i thought it was one of the cool things when he became a client i don't think he'd mind me sharing this because i'm not it's not too personal and it's pretty it's pretty good general advice i always when we have a preliminary info form that we send out to prospects and i say what is your best and worst experience you've had financially and i always thought his answer was a great one in the fact that he talked about he realized when he was in his 20s that if he would start saving for the future, how powerful that'd be. And it's kind of fun for him now. If you fast forward over two decades, approaching three decades, that he, he's seen the fruit of that yep. sacrifice. So, and that all ties back to deferred gratification. I could tell you one of the most important, the, I will say, I will go ahead and I'll, I'll stretch it. The most important thing to being successful is understanding the concept of deferred gratification. I mean, there's so many things. Bo, you know, I mean, I see them around here all the time. I would love to have a Tesla. Yep.
1: We talk about that uh, I mean, I like I, almost
0: weekly. I I want a Tesla. I can I can practically taste owning a Tesla. But a Tesla doesn't make sense for me right now. I mean, and it's not even a financial thing. It is, it is a financial in the fact that I don't think it's the appropriate thing at a six-figure price right. for me to do it when I'm trying to buy a building, when I'm trying to do other things for the firm, where we're investing, growing. It would feel good. But deferred gratification says it's not the right decision. And I think all the deferred gratification is another way of saying pay yourself first. And, you know, we hear that concept, and it sounds so easy, but it is one of those things where you have to realize that you're sacrificing something today so that you can set up your life for the future. You know, the the old saying that you hear Dave Ramsey say, live like no one else so you can live like no one else in the future. It's some, some, some form of that.
1: And it's not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, in, in theory, you can talk about deferred gratification and, and saving things for the future. Uh, but it's not always easy because we do want things. We do want the Tesla. We do want the swimming pool. We do want the new shiny thing. So there are some things you can do to kind of set yourself for success. And one thing that we talk about all the time, Brian, is we love this concept of forced scarcity because yep. it kind of forces you. To shift the way that you handle your finances into going right along with deferred gratification.
0: Yeah, for scarcity was one of those things where I make myself poor on purpose. Um, and the fact that I have my money all spread out, meaning that, so you know, the fifth of the month money's coming out to fund this type of account. At the 15th, this type of money is going out. And it can be all kind of things. It can be 529 plans. It can be retirement plans. It is all these ABLE accounts if you have a special needs child. There's all kind of things that you can set up on an autopilot. So they do create that forced scarcity environment. doesn't mean that you truly are poor or broke. It means you still have access to your emergency reserves or savings accounts. But you're at least creating the situation to where it it kind of pushes your behavior um, to, to not just taking the easy road, because you, you're you going to be successful if you're going ahead and setting yourself up with a plan of action. Um, I always, I feel like we can't move to number two without at least giving these numbers, because what drove me to become the person I am financially was that economics teacher I had in high school who said, guys, if y'all could just save a hundred dollars a month, you'll be a millionaire. And I remember sitting in the audience of that economics teacher who who you know was also a coach, a wrestling coach, you know, he's your typical stereotype of of who they have teaching economics. And when I heard that, it blew my mind because I didn't come from money, and I was like, I could have a million dollars? How's that possible? And here's he he was you know the numbers he shared was a hundred dollars a year, and you could have a hundred dollars. Now I I've moderated that down a little bit because we have had the great recession and other things. I don't want everybody to assume they're going to be making. You know, 12, 14, 15%, like a lot of those crazy scenarios right. used to put in the projection. So I, I assumed a very modest 8% over the extreme long term period. And here's what a 20 year old needs to save. Um, if you want to have a million dollars by the time you're 65 years old, making 8%, I've brought that down 10%, 12%. It lowers these numbers significantly, but at 8%, it's $190 a month. A 30 year old needs to save 436 a month. A 40-year-old needs to save $1,052. Wow,
1: did you see how quickly that moves? So that, you are right, Brian. It is important to start early. Yeah, because look what happens. Dub- the poor 50-year-old,
0: it's $2,890 a month. So you're looking at a tenfold, more than a tenfold increase of what you have to save. That That's why it is definitely a young person's game. But there's never a bad time to start saving. But if you are a younger person or if you have children that are quickly approaching becoming adults or maybe they just they graduated college you want to give them a a leg forward on things, make sure they understand how important it is to start saving. Take that free money from your employer. Start doing those Roth IRAs. That stuff is just priceless for your future.
1: If you don't believe us, just anecdotally, we talk all the time, Brian, about how if you meet someone who's a little bit older, they say they always wish they would have started saving earlier. Very rarely do we ever come across individuals who say the line, oh, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have saved so much when I was young. I wish that I wouldn't have started as early as I did. You just don't hear people saying that. That's
0: a fact. Number two, the biggest opportunities often appear in the darkest of moments. (laughs) Bo, you say the saying, and, and I didn't put it in the piece, and it's not in the research, but there was a University of Georgia football player you say everybody wants to be big, but nobody wants to lift a heavy weight.
1: Well, I heard it first at the University of Georgia. I think it's actually attributed to a, a professional bodybuilder, Ronnie Coleman. I think he was the original source, and that, that's exactly what he said. He had
0: some expletives in there, yeah, some he, salty language. He
1: said it a little bit more aggressively. But, but, it, but it. it is that. And I think Warren Buffett, you know, Warren even says it a little bit differently. He says when it's raining gold, I think this way, when it's raining gold, reach for a bucket, not a thimble.
0: Yeah, right? and it, it all ties back because this is the key point that I highlighted was Warren Buffett has made billions, with a B, by understanding this simple concept that the biggest opportunities occur at the darkest moments. And that's why he did have the quote, be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. It's quite simply trying to tell you to buy low and then sell high. And everybody knows that concept of buy low and sell high, but they have a hard time crossing that bridge of understanding that really what we're talking about here is understanding how human behavior occurs with our economic system and with trying to build wealth. The thing is, is that we all, it was not that long ago. I mean, it was, a, it was, a, we're getting close to a decade, which it seems like it was just a few months ago. It really doesn't seem that far back to have that we had the great recession. Yep. I can still internalize what it felt like to manage people's money in those dark, dark times. And, and the thing is, is that I think a lot of people now are going, and it seems like money's easy again, or to a degree, meaning that we've had some good years of performance, and and we kind of get away from what does it truly look like when the sky is falling outside, and that's what I mean. If you remember Ford, I mean the the Ford stock mm-hmm. didn't it go below two?
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, down on two. I bucks mean a it share. went down to
0: two. I mean a lot of the banks. I mean it was kind of like Goldman Sachs when Warren Buffett bailed them and GE and some of the others out. I mean, he obviously had his bucket out. Oh, yeah. If you go and look at what Goldman Sachs, General Electric, and some of the others that took those Berkshire Hathaway loans back during the Great Recession, he had his bucket out, and he was doing exactly the advice. And that's what I want to tell you guys. If you can think about this from a strategic standpoint, if you have the ability to go and invest when things are scary, You're probably getting a great value proposition and that's the other probably key part of this. Understand value, how value plays into anything you buy, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks. That's why you need to understand price to earnings ratios. You need to understand what is the focus of your mutual fund or ETF. Should I be doing index funds versus buying a managed fund? These are the type of things that you need to understand so that when those dark times come, you can understand what the value of those investments are. So, Brian, if I'm a young person, or even if I'm not a young
1: person, even if I'm a middle-aged person, are you saying that uh, when I start saving, should I just start putting a, all my savings into a savings account waiting for the sky to fall before I start investing, or is there a better strategy? Well,
0: it's, it's there's opportunity the, the The first thing I would tell you, if you're a young person starting out, all means you've got to have some cash reserves put up you know you want to have 3 to 6 months somehow locked up then you're obviously going to make sure you want to do your you prioritize your investments where you're maximizing your your company match and things like that but i will tell you there comes a point in your life if you're already doing the 15 to 20% that you should hopefully be saving for retirement that's stuff that should be on autopilot and we're talking about paying yourself first when you're creating that force scarcity i want 15 to 20% of your gross wages or gross income going towards the future. Now if you're doing that and there's still some excess money out there, you have a choice. You can either pay down debt or you can build up cash or you can do both or you can invest more. Here that's that's the cool part of financial planning where you can reach those levels. And I always tell people I like something a, a balance. I kind of like the idea of paying down debt A little earlier, so that hopefully when you do hit financial independence or retirement age, you truly are debt free, because that's that's the only way you're going to feel completely liberated is if you don't owe anybody anything. But you should, especially if you're one of these people you think want you want to buy a building, um, for your business, or maybe you want to get into rental property, or you want to just, you know, take advantage of low cost valuations with your investments. There is nothing wrong if you've already checked those boxes on the emergency reserves, your systematic savings plan, to keeping some extra. Money out there, cash-wise, to go go invest when values look good, but make sure you're doing the other things. That's it's, I think it's a very small percentage of the population can do that. Bo, number three, success and experience take time. The ten thousand hour concept, which is approximately five years of working two thousand hours a year, is is, is the mastery. Of whatever talent or skill set you're trying to figure out. It actually, this, if you can understand the 10,000 10, hour concept, it hits so much closer to reality than many people are willing to accept. And I'm looking towards the people that, I mean, I know it's hard. I mean, we all come out of school and we think that we've, you know, had all these years in college where we've been trained. We, we all think we ought to come out and hit the ground completely running. But I will tell you guys that some of the things, and this is as I'm getting grayer and I'm getting older, I'm realizing the value of understanding opportunity and experience. And I would, I would encourage people to find a mentor, to find somebody who's really doing something incredible in your field that you're passionate about and trying to, to learn as much as you can so that you are s- structuring yourself to be a beast or a monster in the future by having all that knowledge and that skill set. And sometimes that's not always the most, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It might not be the most lucrative choice. Sure. I mean, it's, I'll tell you, our industry is a perfect example. I tell this when I go to the universities or schools to talk to people who want to be financial planners, and I've even talked to some of you individually when you've reached out to me, I always tell financial planners, you have several paths you can go. You know, you can do the the slow and steady, whereas, you know, I think we are, that's why we're the unicorns of the industry, where we're, less than 1% of the total marketplace of financial advisors were fee-only. So it's not a fast process. You're you you know you're building relationships over the long term, whereas sometimes, believe me, on the commission side, where you can make 5% of transaction, even up to 8% on some insurance products and other things with annuities, um, I can see how a lot of people, they don't want to be patient. They want to go immediately for that rock star status and make that quick money, mm-hmm. whereas I will tell you, I think it is fulfilling to learn. And I think that's the unique experience you get when you work in a firm structure where you can have time to build, learn this, hone the skill. Make sure you're not just a salesperson, right. that you actually have the skill set. And I probably internalize that too much on the financial planning, but I'm thinking about anybody who's working in anything that is a professional skill set. Whether we are talking about? Architects, accountants, um, anybody who you're trying to learn from the best so you can grow I know that that probably is not a sexy thing to hear that it might take five years to get good at something because we all want to get to things as fast as possible. I mean, that whole Alabama song that I'm in a hurry, you know, it's, it's, it all ties back to, to, I know we want to get there as fast as we can, but you really do need to slow down and make sure you understand things before you graduate to that next level. Did I slaughter that concept or does it?
1: No, no. I think, I think what's really interesting about this one that we talk about all the time, especially, when we are mentoring young college students uh, in any field is we always tell them think about the opportunities that you're going to pursue that will set you up well 10, 15, 20 years down the road. It may not be as exciting or as sexy or as attractive as the opportunity that'll feel great for the next 12, 18, 24 months, but if you can have that mindset where you sort of think long-term in nature and you set yourself up for success and you become a master in your field, that can be incredibly valuable for you over the long term.
0: The two things that came to mind as you were as you were saying that was don't make financial decisions that only benefit you in the short term at the expense of long-term success. And then the the here's the big one for all of us accounting nerds is don't make an income statement decision at the expense of your balance sheet.
1: That means don't uh just because you can afford the credit card payment doesn't mean that you should go buy the thing.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think those are some key things, just thinking long-term. It's just You'll notice the key theme that runs throughout financial planning discussions, long-term is your friend. And, and I realize, I know that hard things can occur in the short term, but as long as you stay steady and keep on the plan, you usually will be rewarded. Number four, make sure that the things that grab your attention reflect your passions are the best uses of your time. Now, this one was a hard one when I put it to paper because I think a lot of people will say, wait a minute, what does he mean by make sure that the things that you're spending your time on and your passions really are the best uses of your time because a lot of people will say, well, Brian, I'm building financial independence so I can travel. And that's not what I'm talking about because I think that saving money and building resources so you can travel, so you can build memories, so you can do things with your family. That's different. I mean, that's that's the type of stuff I've told you guys many, many times. I want you to build as many memories as possible because nobody gets to put a U-Haul behind their hearse and take stuff with them. So it is so valuable that you create those memories and do those things. But I will tell you, I think that there is something that we have to be very aware of that you're not getting busy doing nothing. Um, there's so many times I see people, and I'm going to pick on something and probably offend some people. I hope I don't offend because I've done this myself, so, I mean, I'm kind of, it takes one to know one. It's the fact that I've spent way too much time in the past on fantasy football. Sure. Only to, I mean, yes, it was fun. I had some camaraderie with some friends, some good trash, healthy trash talking. But you look back, I couldn't tell you, I can tell you who won last year's fantasy football, but maybe the year before that have no idea. And I just wonder, could I have used that for something more positive? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's also, it, you could apply this to all kinds of things. Politics, sure. you know, how often do we all get caught up in worried about like this crazy presidential election that's going on? Do we really have any control over that? I mean, you can go vote, but you really, at the end of the day, you don't have control over politics. So don't stress yourself out so much. So make sure you're focusing your time and your your use of your time is so limited. Make sure that it's it's just focused and efficient.
1: And I think there's some really easy success stories to pull out. I think, Brian, you shared you were watching a documentary or something. Wasn't it Bill Gates who used to have? access to a computer lab really early on in oh, life. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and he recognized he had an affinity for that sort of thing, and so that's kind of the hobby, the pastime that he sort of became an expert in. And look at what that did for him. I, yeah. I think the same is true for Steve uh, Wozniak, right? Wasn't that kind of the same type of thing that he was doing?
0: Yeah, and the thing you referenced, I mean, because we'd be crazy, talk as we went past the 10,000-hour the concept, and we didn't even throw out Malcolm Gladwell's name. I mean, that is his thing from Outsider's. And that's, that's the case study he reflects is the whole Bill Gates thing, having access at his private school. How unique was it to live in a a, part of the country, be of the age, and have access to a a, a mainframe computer when he was in the seventh grade? Most people don't have that opportunity. Uh, Outliers. I said outsiders.
1: I think uh, that is a book, but it's a very, you know, you know, you know what's funny? Is your daughter reading that at school? This is the full
0: circle thing. I think Bill Gates was in the seventh grade when he had access to that computer, and that's Outliers. Right. My daughter just started the seventh grade, and then I was in English class. You know, we had open house where right. we go and we toured their, did their, their whole class schedule on a ten-minute increment so uh-huh. we could meet the teachers. And she let everybody know that there was two books: it was Call of the Wild and Outsiders. <laughs> and I immediately screamed out. Pony Boy. I love Pony Boy. And my wife immediately slapped me, you know, slapped my leg because I think I embarrassed her. But it is so funny how there is a kind of a Seinfeld full circle thing where Bill Gates, seventh grade, my daughter's in the seventh grade, and Pony Boy and Outsiders, I mean, it all kind of works together. It's like it was all meant to be. So number five, don't get in such a hurry that you don't enjoy each stage of, stage of your personal and professional life. Now, Bo, I pick on you about this yeah, one. Yeah,
1: we have this talk.
0: Because Bo is, if y'all don't know, just from listening to the show, Bo has done, he's an incredibly talented guy, and he's he's, he's, he's kind of my padre, my right-hand guy. We've really done some incredible things in this decade that we've been working together. But I do pick on Bo because I'm, I'm, I'm old enough that I'm now reaching the age where I smell the roses a little bit more. I, I, I've shared with you guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, once I broke 40, I don't cry. I don't want you to think I'm riding around and I'm like on the the, the Bachelor in Paradise where I'm Ashley eye who breaks into <laughs> tears at any point in time. It's not like that whatsoever for me, but I do have those chill bump moments much more frequently where I realize my own mortality and I think about where I've been, what I've done, and and then what's really important to me in life and I've tried to share that wisdom with you, Bo, because I see you, you remind me so much of myself that you're driven, driven, driven. You know, we have these goals, goals, goals. And and I, I want you, because I look back on my life, and some of those brokest times when I was in my early 20s and then the times in the late 20s where I started the company, and, you know, you're still just wondering, where do you fit in this world? How am I going to pay for all this? How am I going to make this all happen? Those are some of the most fulfilling and rewarding memories to kind of look back in that longing gaze to to the steps that took to get us here. And I'm trying to always remind you, and I know a lot of you listeners are probably having those same thoughts because I've often shared one of my favorite moments was one of my childhood friends. Um, he's still one of my close friends. Unfortunately, now that I've moved to Tennessee, I don't get to see him as much. But his father owned a metal fabrication um, company, and I think you know I think he would share the story that because I've heard it a few times. He was a 7 dollar an hour welder started his company um and then it became extremely successful and whenever I used to ask him about his journey because he didn't look like your traditional businessman you know with because he loved Harley motorcycles you know he was you know just a great great guy biggest heart do anything he can for you but he didn't look like your traditional wearing a coat and tie type business guy but every time I talked to Harry about his business you could see that gaze, you know, is kind of that look in his eyes, that glimmer in his eyes of reminiscing the journey. And that's really the fulfillment, I think, that comes from a, a life that is well done, is when you take that road less traveled, when you can understand where you are in each step of your life and, and truly enjoying it. And I don't know. That's probably crazy. A lot of people who are have their calculators out and looking with notepad in hand going, where's the theory? Where's the financial concept? He's going to teach me. You're like, that's goop." There is something to some of that soft stuff that we try to throw into the show too, because I want you guys to understand that I, I think, you know, I also, not to get too seminal, I had my 18th wedding anniversary this week. And um, I look back and I'm like, how have I been married 18 years? I mean, I feel like I've been married a year and a half. I mean, Bo, you've been married now over 3 years and I mean it seems like you got married 2 weeks ago. Over
1: 4 years now. 4 years? Over 4 years. Good now. god.
0: I mean, it, time just gets away and that's why I tell you.
1: Why don't you why don't you go ahead and share with our listeners the romantic thing that you wrote on your anniversary card to your wife? <laughs> Cuz I just thought it was so sweet that that
0: they should know. I wrote some nice stuff too, but I did write our, our marriage is officially old enough to smoke. <laughs> I don't think it, that's probably too much. I shouldn't have shared that because, oh my God, poor wife. You know, remember we did go on an anniversary trip. That's why we did the all inclusive thing. So there is some romanticism out there. It's not all dead, but it's, um, yeah, I tried to have a sense of humor about the whole thing because I don't know. I'll leave it at that. But, um, hopefully you guys got enough out of the show because I do think that there is something to, like I said, not making the mistake yourself. If you can leverage other people's mistakes or other people's experience, that's probably the better way of putting it, you can set yourself up for tremendous levels of success. And that's what I want to do on this show. You know, we we try to jump all over the place, whether it's talking about travel with all-inclusive, whether it's talking about if you have a special needs child, we put something out there, as well as health savings accounts. I mean, we try to go... Really deep sometimes, but then we also try to have fun with concepts because we want you to be thinking about your financial life in a completely all encompassing 360 degree way of doing things. And we try to have fun doing it. And I, I couldn't think of a better way to connect with all of you guys than doing this podcast. And you know, it's funny. We were, um, Bo and I were out somewhere and, um, somebody asked us what we did and we shared the podcast and we, they and we, Bo, somehow it came up that we started this thing in 2006. And they're like, wow, that's, that's over a decade. And I'm like, I know. It's it's kind of <laughs> crazy. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys have made this thing successful. You've made this go beyond anything I ever could imagine. And truthfully, um, without getting too, too ooey-gooey with this whole thing, I think about just the journey I've had having a special needs child needing to move to another state so that her education could be covered if I didn't have this podcast, do you guys realize this podcast enabled me to work with clients in over 30 states? Um, that enabled me to actually move to another state so I could take care of my my daughter's medical issues. I mean, maybe it's the Presbyterian in me, but it just makes me sentimental to know that this was all just like it's meant to be. I mean, it really is, and I just want to—I th- I can't say thank you enough for you guys being there and supporting the show and helping us as we grew this thing. If you want to reach out to the show, you can write Bo directly at B-O at moneyguy.com or you can write me directly. That's Brian, B-R-I-N at moneyguy.com. And um, I'll just leave it there, but just know that I am so grateful and thankful for every one of you guys that listen to us every other week for the 35 to 45 minutes that we do this show. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you in two weeks.
1: The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston.